so grateful that you are here at First Baptist Church of Wellston this morning. I hope that when you came in, hopefully you got a bulletin. Hopefully you have something that you can write with. There's some notes on the back of that that we'll be using during our time together in the Word. And also, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be at during our time in the Word this morning. Thank you, young men, for, took, for helping us take up the tithes and offerings this morning. Thank you to Greg and those that serve with Greg and they, as you all lead us in worship we are so blessed beyond our understanding. You know this time and this season as people have been dealing with electrical outages it's a good reminder of how spoiled we get with electricity and sometimes we get spoiled when it comes to worship. And it gets spoiled when we come and we get to sit under just some great leadership um, when it comes to just songs and leading us to prepare our hearts for God's word and so we are so grateful for you this morning. It was back in 2006 on a Goober Drilling Corporation rig known as Rig Number 10. There were two guys that were working the floor. Now some of you will understand what I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea. But when you come to a drilling rig operation and you are drilling down to get to the oil and gas that's in the dirt. And on this particular type of apparatus and this particular type of machinery you have a number of people. You have a driller and he is the one that operates all of the mechanical operations that makes everything go around and around and around. And then you have three guys that are working on the floor. And that's where all of the work takes place but particularly you have two guys and these two guys are called the floor hands and these two guys are working together and they are kind of the ones that do the brunt of the forced labor if you will and they do the majority of the physical labor and they are the ones that help um, pick the slips up they are the ones that are operating the tongs they're the ones that are going and getting the equipment they are the ones that are doing the uh, the majority of the labor that is done in the drilling operation these two floor hands are doing it. Well, back in 2006 on Gruber Drilling Rig 10, these two floor hands that were working that particular day were known by Tucker and Spence. Back in the days, my brother and I, Tucker, we worked on this drilling rig together. And he and I worked on the same crew, on the same tower, and there for a period of time, him and I worked as the two floor hands on this operation. And I'm not trying to be prideful or boasting. I'm just going to tell you we were the best. We were the kind of duo that Evan and his contemporaries dreamed of being someday when they got to be grown up roughnecks. And so we were the flat best there was and we could do it faster, we could do it better, we could do it smoother than anyone else in the patch ever. Maybe that's a little bit prideful, but it's, it's true. I, I, you can ask Tucker. Tucker will attest. It is true. So, but what would happen is because people knew that we were brothers and because people knew that we rode to work together, we, we stayed in the same room when we were out of town together, we had a construction business on the side together, everything that we did was together all the time, and they knew as well as we worked together, there would be people that would come up from time to time, a, a company man, a tool pusher, someone else, they would come up. And they would start stirring the pot. You know those kind of individuals, don't you? You just can't deal with a little bit of peace and quiet. (laughs) They don't like peace and quiet. And so they would come in and they would start agitating. They would start stirring the pot. They would say, well, Spence, Tucker's faster than you. No, he's not. (laughs) Well, Tucker, 
Spence can do it better than you. No, he can't. And so they would sit there and they would from a distance see if they could get my brother and I to turn on one another. And they would sit there and they would pick and they would prod and they would push and they would pull and they were constantly trying to agitate us to get us divided because they would sit back then and enjoy the scene of him and I going head to head. Not just when it comes to the work but also going head to head when it comes to the competition of life. And in short, what they were trying to do is they were trying to sow seeds of division amongst my brother and I. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't work. But I think of that in the light of where we're at today. Because there's a lot of forces outside of the church that are trying to sow seeds of division within the church. And there are a lot of people in this world today that their desire and their aim is to divide people. I mean, we're not going to get super political this morning, but I don't think that we can be honest without accepting the reality of where we're at today. We are in a highly divided society. And I'm not saying that you've got to be on this side. I'm not saying that you've got to be on that side. But at least we can acknowledge for at least a few moments this morning that there is division all around us. And I'm going to tell you this morning that I don't think that division is by accident. And I don't think that division is not uh, something that is being intentionally done by people, forces, other actions at work trying to know, trying to say, if I can just keep them divided, then they will never be unified. And they will not do as much divided as they can do united so those individuals show up on that drilling rig and we just be tearing it up having a good time getting the work done fast and they'd start trying to sow seeds of division because they wanted to see the show and church my concern this morning as we are sitting here in the day and time in which we are living that the greater danger is not the next four years It doesn't matter whether it is Biden or Trump. My concern is not for the next four years. My concern is for eternity. My concern is for where we are headed for an eternity. And my concern is as a church or as individuals, if we get so fixated on numbers, polls, the next four years, either way, and we miss the focus that eternity is at stake every time we get together as God's people, then we will miss the focus that God has given us. In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, God does never, he does not tell the people, go therefore and make all people Republicans. He doesn't say, go therefore and make all people Democrats. He doesn't say, go therefore and elect a certain person. He says, go therefore and make disciples. So my aim this morning, and I think it is so fitting, it's like the Holy Spirit knew what was going to be taking place today. The Holy Spirit knew where we were going to be at today. And so we are here in Ephesians chapter 2, and the main thrust of this passage has to do with division and unity. And it especially talks about us as a church corporately. Last Sunday, we were there in Ephesians chapter 2, in the first 10 verses, and and we were talking about Paul reminding us as an individual who we were as a lost person now who we are as a saved person and showing us the grace of God in saving us and the difference that we should be able to look back to and say this is who I was and this is who I am well as Paul is writing he's going to start here in verse 11 and he is going to make a shift and he's going to go from the individual to the group he's going to go from the individual Christian to the church 
as a gathered believers, as a gathered fellowship. And so he, he changes the direction by saying, remember who you were individually before and now who you are now in Christ. He, gave, he turns his eyes to the church and he says, it is time for the church to remember who they were before Jesus and now who they are after Jesus. But we're living in a day and age where there's division. And it's not just division outside these walls. There's also division inside the walls. You have churches today. And I believe God-fearing, Bible-teaching, faithful churches today that are in different sides of the aisles. They have different opinions on what is right and what is wrong and what we should support and what we should not support. There are very good people everywhere. And you see there at the top of your notes, here's kind of the main idea that, I, that I'm driving from this morning. That division among believers and the church is not a symbol of health. But of sickness. And when we look around the landscape today and we see so much division, whether it's on your social media feed, whether it's on your news reports, whether it's in the newspaper, whether it's just in people by the type of candidate they support. I'm going to tell you, when it comes to Christianity, division amongst Christians is not a sign of health. I believe, based upon what we're going to see this morning, that God wants us to know that it's not a sign of health, but it's a sign of sickness. So what I am asking you to do with me this morning is we're just going to look at verse 11 down through verse 22 here in Ephesians chapter 2. And I just want to point you to two reminders that Paul gives us concerning God's grace. He's going to turn his attention to the church, not necessarily individually, but corporately, us as a gathered group of believers here this morning. And he reminds him, just as he talked about the grace of God through salvation in the first 10 verses, he's going to talk about still the grace of God, but on a corporate level, for these next few verses. So he's going to talk about two reminders that we should remember when it comes to the grace of God. The first one is this. Once divided. Once divided. Notice how Paul picks up here in verse 11. He says, therefore, so he's tying in what he has said in the preceding verses here in chapter 2. And he says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul wants to remind the church, he wants to remind the believers that at one point in time, you all were separated. You all were divided. Well, how were they divided, Spence? Well, number one, they were divided by their name. Notice he says there in verse 11, he says the Gentiles, he's talking about the Gentiles. Now, who are the Gentiles? I'm just going to be very frank with you. Every single one of us in this room would be considered a Gentile. As far as to my knowledge, there was a difference. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. That was the only main division that was there. And so here in this room this morning, we'd all be considered Gentiles. And at one point in time, there was a division. There was a division between the Jews and the Gentiles. They were divided by names. Now he talks about here in verse 11 as the uncircumcised versus the circumcised. Where does that come from? That comes from the Abrahamic covenant. And God comes to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you the covenant, that sign of circumcision, and that will be the means of identifying those that are a part of the people of God, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, and all the rest, the Gentiles. 
Gentiles, the uncircumcised, those are all the have-nots. The Jews are all the haves, if you will. And so they were divided by names. The circumcised versus the uncircumcised. You think back. First, First Samuel chapter 17 and David is sitting there and he's listening to Goliath spew his rant and his rage against the, 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 the army of Saul and the army of God. And remember what David says? He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare defy the name of God? So Paul is coming in and he's reminding the church. He's reminding the church because here in this church in Ephesus, there were both Jews and Gentiles, but they were all united under one Savior. And he says, do not forget that once upon a time you were divided. You were divided by names. And we still seek to divide people by names today. But where do they go to church at? Or by their last name? It's not just Wellston. I mean, I understand here in Wellston, you've got some pretty prominent names. I mean, McConnell's, I mean, that's a pretty prominent name here in this town. <laughs> but you still got other names, the Dankers, the Baileys, the Goggins. Uh, you have other names that people know that, hey, that, that, that's a name, blah, blah, blah. And then you just go on and on and on and on. I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not just Wellston. <laughs> you go to Hilton and there's the same sort of thing in Hilton. You go to Wilson, there's the same sort of thing in Wilson. You go to Ringland, it's the same sort of thing in Ringland. It's not just here in Wellston, but you think about from place to place to place, you will find people that are divided by names. But not just the names, but Paul's also reminding them that they were divided by identity. He talks there in verse 11 and verse 12, he says, you were divided not just by your name as far as the uncircumcised versus the circumcised, but in verse 12 he says, but that remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Why were they separated from Christ? Because they were not of the Jewish Lineage. They were not of a Jewish nationality. They were not of a Jewish ethnicity. So therefore, anybody that was not Jewish was not God's chosen people. And therefore, those people were cast out. Those people had no hope. Those people had no promise from God. They were not of the family of Abraham. And so Paul wants to remind them that once upon a time, you all were divided. You were divided by your names. You were divided by your identity. And you were divided by your opportunity. He talks about there in verse 12, having no hope and without God in the world. He wants to remind them that at once upon a time, the only people that could go into the Holy of Holies were Jews. And that was just a Jewish priest on one time of the year. The only people that can make it in past the outer court, the court of the Gentiles there at the temple in Jerusalem, the only people that could get past the court of the Gentiles, you had to be Jewish. The only hope, the only promise, the only assurance that you had that you were right before God was when you were able to offer your sacrifices and your tithes, if you will, and your givings and your atonement for your sins before God. But not everybody was allowed to do that. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's sitting there on the side of the road in his chariot and he's reading from Isaiah. And when Stephen comes up and says, or when Philip comes up and says, what are you reading from? And he's reading from Isaiah. And if you were to go back and read the passage of Isaiah, the passage of Isaiah is, is making reference that the people that are not pure, that are not clean, that are not right, they are cast out from the family of God. And at being a eunuch, you're missing some equipment. You are not right, and you're not pure, 
And he is reading this saying, I desire to know that I'm right before God, but because I'm a eunuch, therefore I am cast out from the people of God. And that's where Philip comes in and says, oh, Mr. Eunuch, let me tell you what Jesus has now done. Once upon a time, we were all divided. We were divided. We were divided both as a people. We were divided by ethnicities. We were divided by social classes. We were divided by incomes. We were divided by where we went to school. We were divided by our color of our skin. We were divided by the people that we knew. We were divided by where we grew up. Once upon a time, we were all divided. And if it was up to Satan, we'd all be divided again. It is no accident that we see such division taking place in this world. But it's such a travesty when the world sees the same division in the church. So Paul wants to remind the reader. Paul Paul wants to remind the church. Don't lose sight of the fact that you once were divided. It's the same way he talks up there in verse 1 through verse 3 of chapter 2. And he wants to remind them that do not forget who you were before Christ saved you. He wants to remind us here in verse 11 down through verse 12. He wants to remind them do not forget how you were divided before Jesus. Because only when you realize what he has saved you from. And only when you realize what he has saved you to. Do you have any appreciation and understanding of how sweet it is now. So he starts there in verse 13. He gives them the second reminder. Once you were divided, but now you are united. Now you are united. Well, how in the world does that work, Spence? By a political figure? Nope. By calendar? Nope. By social reform? by wearing the same color shirt. Nope. We're going to have division in this world as long as sin is in this world. So you and I can think that we're going to go outside and we're going to go and we're going to see a world that somehow is going to have peace. I remember growing up and you would watch the Miss America pageants. I don't, maybe you didn't. I, my grandma, if I wanted to watch TV when the Miss America pageant was on, I was going to watch the Miss America pageant because my grandma and grandpa loved sitting there and watching the Miss America and the Miss Universe pageant. And, and, and I know it's a running joke. You've heard it before, but you know they'd sit there and they'd ask those contestants, those ladies, they'd ask them the question, what is it that you wish for? And they would say, world peace. And everybody like, oh, Oh, isn't that such a nice answer? It's a great answer. It's just not realistic. It's like looking at four boys at our house and thinking that you're going to have one quiet day. It's a great desire. It's just not reality. Apart from Christ. So notice what Paul does here. Paul picks it up there in verse 13. And two beautiful words. It's the same word that you see back up there in verse 4. It's the same word that is here in verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He wants to remind them that once upon a time you were divided. You were divided as Jews and Gentiles. You were divided as circumcised and uncircumcised. You were divided across a lot of different cultural and social lines. But now that you are Christ, you are united. And what unites us, he says there in verse 12, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. We were united under the blood. Why is the blood that which unites us? Because it's the blood of Christ that made the forgiveness of our sins possible. 
It was the blood of an animal in the Old Testament that had to be shed for the remission of sins. Blood had to be shed for sins to be forgiven. And then Christ comes onto the scene and Christ sheds his blood once and for all so that all of our sins may be atoned for past, present, and future. And so therefore we can sit here this morning knowing that we are now all in the same boat all can be in the same boat forgiven under the blood of Jesus Christ because he died once for all. That should be something that should be unifying to us. That should be something that should be kind of exciting because you know what? That means that I don't have to bleed tomorrow for my mistakes tomorrow. I don't have to go around and start sacrificing animals every time I have a bad thought or a bad word or every time I lose my temper with my kids. I don't have to go around and do that because the blood of Christ. It's not the blood of a denominational leader. It's not the blood of a preacher. It's not the blood of a person. It's not the blood of a demographic. It's the blood of Christ. And every single one of us are here and we are not forgiven and saved because of our merits or because of our worth. We are all, the only hope that we have is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he reminds us. So when you come in, when I come in, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how big your house is. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how much education you have. It doesn't matter about how, how, how many people that you know in the Bible, how many stories you know, what's your reputation in this community. When you come in here, the only thing that matters is are you saved or are you lost? Because that's the only division that happens when we come in here today. Either you know that your blood, either that you know that the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for your sins or you are still trying to find a way to pay for your own sins. So he reminds us that we are united. We are united under the blood. But then he goes on in verse 14 and notice what he says. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross therefore thereby killing the hostility. You may read that and you're like, what in the world is he saying? He is saying that when Christ came, he fulfilled the Old Testament law. He kept all of the rules. He came in and he did what he was supposed to. He lived that perfect life for you and I so that therefore now we can be united as one body. How many bodies was Christ? One. How many bodies died on the cross for you and I? One. How many body was shed and given as a sacrifice for our sins? Not three. One. One. Just one body. And so he says that now that we are forgiven, now that we are united, we're united in one body. Which means the cliques that we have in churches today are unnecessary. The clubs that we have in churches today are unnecessary. We are one church. Period. I don't want to be one church. I want to have my church over here and I want to have that church over there. We want to have our little club over here and we want to be this group over here. That's great, but we are still one body. And when we start thinking that we are different bodies, then we start trying to multiply Christ and we do not need to multiply Christ. We are to reflect the image of God. And God sent his son, singular, Christ is one body. And there Paul is reminding us 
us, of what Christ did for us. And because he himself is our peace in verse 14, because he abolished the law of commandments, meaning that he kept them, that he fulfilled them, that he satisfied them there in verse 15. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ in verse 16. He's reminding us that we are now united as one body. And not just one body, but we are united in the same opportunity. Notice in verse 17, he says, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. He's reminding us just as scripture tells us in other places that when Christ died, he died for your sins. And he also died for the sins of your neighbor. He also died for the sins of your co-workers. He also died for the sins of your family. He also died sins of the people that you don't like. He also died for the sins of the people that you do like. He died for the sins of President Trump. He died for the sins of Vice President Biden. He died for the sins of every political figure. He died for the sins of this world. He died for the sins of people so that whosoever might call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. He died. He died for all of those things, meaning that you and I have the same opportunity. It's not a matter of having to know the right words. It's not a matter of having the right merit or the might worth. He is telling us, Paul is saying us that every single person hearing the words of Paul, knowing the truth of who God is and what Christ has done, knows that every single one of us can come to Christ. There's not a single person that has any grounds to say, I can't come because I'm not worthy. Every single person has the same opportunity. First John 2, he talks about being the propitiation for our sins. He's reminding us that when Christ came and Christ died and Christ paid that sacrifice, that that atonement was the propitiation for all of our sins, for every single person's sins. So now we are united with one opportunity that you can come to Christ. And then he goes on in verse 18. And he says, for though, or I'm sorry, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we're united in one spirit. We're united under the blood, united as one body, united in opportunity, and united in one spirit. What spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit. The third part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, Spence, what does that mean then that if God tells me to do something over here and God tells you to do something over there? You think the Spirit's going to contradict itself? You think the Spirit's going to lead us in opposing directions? There's only one Spirit. And there's only one spiritual leading in the world today. Now the danger comes, the question comes, the million dollar question comes, is, well, how do we discern which is the Spirit and which is indigestion? When do we, how do we discern what is the Spirit and what is just preference? How do we know what the Spirit is leading us to do versus just what we want to do? Well, that is the question, but we do need to understand it doesn't matter whether we have 50 people or whether we have 150 people in this church. There is still only one Holy Spirit. And that means there's only still only one Holy Spirit that is leading us as a church, leading you as an individual, leading us together. The Spirit is not going to lead us to fight. Tonight we have a members meeting, business meeting. I call it a members meeting. Tonight we have a members meeting. Let's say we come in there and let's say we just kind of paw at the ground. And we all pick our spots over there in the fellowship hall and we sit down and we got a bone to pick. 
The next thing you know, we are embroiled in tense, terse discussion. I'm going to tell you right now, the Spirit's not going to lead any of us in this room to fight against one another. Period. Not going to do it. How do you know? Because the Holy Spirit is not divided. So if you come in and you say, well, the Spirit led me to do this, and this person comes in and says, well, the Spirit led me to do that, but they're in opposition to one another, then somebody is misunderstanding the Holy Spirit. Because Paul wants to remind us that we are united in one Spirit, access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 18, going on in verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. United in one spirit, united in one household. I'm going to keep going. Built, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows uh, into a holy temple of the Lord. He's reminding us that as we have been united in Christ, not only have we been united in all the things that I've already mentioned, but we've been united for one purpose. What is the purpose of the church? To glorify God. To point people to God. What is the purpose of the church? To serve God. Not to serve our own agendas. Not to do what we think is popular. Not to try to fill the pews with people. Our job is not to tickle the ears of individuals. Our job is not to have the highest attendance in the association. Our job is to be faithful to God. Our job to reach the lost to disciple the found our job is so that people might hear about Jesus Christ and they're not going to hear about Jesus Christ if all I'm doing is beating my chest about the division socially that's not what's going to happen Paul wants to remind them that when it comes to the church you guys are united you guys and gals are united. You're united for one purpose. You're joined together. Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then notice this last one in verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You are united by one God. You are united. 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 Over and over again, Paul wants to drive home the reality that as Christians today, we are United. Now the danger comes, and I know I've, I've seen it before, I've heard it before. He said, when the division starts to spring up, some people, they bow up for a fight. I'll get them straightened out. I'll go find my chapter and my verse, and I'll just go, and I'll be, I'll be ready just to just... Some, they don't want nothing to do with it. They just stop showing up. You, you just pull back. Well, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't want to fight it. I don't want to be party to it, so I'm just not going to be present. Well, that's helpful. Yeah, all right, so that's good. Some of you all don't want to take a stand on any way, so you're just waving back and forth with whichever popular drift is coming around, and so you're just going wherever they want you to go, and you're just going back and forth and back and forth. And none of us ever acknowledge that the true danger is that we're being divided. And what are we being divided from? I'll be honest with you, this, this past week has been difficult for me. Because on one side of the ditch, you have pastors and ministries that are becoming very political. 
And why I think that has value in speaking truth and taking a stand and trying to be a light for people to follow, the problem is the kingdom of God is not political. But then you have the other side of the ditch over there and you have pastors and you have ministries that they're just ignoring it. They're just ignoring that it ever is taking place. They're just ignoring the conflict. They're just ignoring the division. They're just ignoring that anything is going on right now. And you have a crowd full of people, a church full of people, that all of you all are aware of it. And sometimes you come into church going, well, what does God say about this? And maybe you're looking for a pastor or for a ministry to say, let me put this in a biblical perspective and let me tell you how we should be thinking of it as a Christian. And yet if you come in and no one says a word, you leave just as equipped as you came in with nothing so where is that where is that line that we are to walk at First Baptist Church Wellston to be honest as I've been thinking about this last week and I've been thinking about these divisions and I've been thinking about what is going on I came to the conclusion late last night that a lot of these are just simply meant to be distractions Satan knows that if he can get you and I talking about voter fraud, if he can get you and I talking about religious liberty, he knows if you and he can get you and I talking about the unborn, he can get you and I talking about cultural expectations, he knows that if he can get you and I talking about something other than eternity and the souls of people, he wins. So I don't care who you voted for on Tuesday. I don't care who you may not have voted at all. I don't care if you voted. If you didn't vote, I don't care who you voted for on Tuesday. I want to know where you're going to be at in 10,000 years. I, I, I want to know who has your heart and who has your soul. I want to know whose team are you on. Are you on team Jesus or are you on team world. I want to know about your soul. I want to know about your salvation. I want to know, are you with the people of God or are you with the people of the world? And I'm going to warn you, those of you that are here this morning and you may say, well Spence, I know that I'm saved. Spence, I know that I'm on the team of God. Then I'm going to warn you that Satan is always trying to erode away at our unity. Always trying to get us divided because once we're divided, we're easier to conquer. And I want you to know that it is a daily, constant battle for us to guard our unity together. So how do we do this? Let me give you three questions that I just want to leave you in way of passing as I try to land this plane, if you will. How do we measure if we're growing together? How do we measure if we're actually pursuing after unity together? Well, the first question is this. Do we desire division or unity? may seem like an obvious answer, may seem like a silly question, but there are people today that desire division. There are people today that desire division. There are people today that desire to put people at odds against one another. Out of my four precious, beautiful sons, there is one son in particular that likes to agitate. He likes to pick. He likes to prod. Now, Wyatt would never admit that he does that, but he does that. And he doesn't do it to try to bring some sort of demonic division within the household. He's not doing it trying to lead us away from God. He's just doing it in the normal life of the family. But I'm going to tell you that Satan is doing it all the time for the church. So you get on the church, you get on your Facebook, and you see somebody in the church that posts something. And you start to wonder. You come to church and somebody doesn't talk to you. And you begin to wonder. 
preacher didn't say anything to me. You know, when the preacher talked to me, he spent like five seconds, then he walked away. We sang that song. Why did Greg sing that song? Was he trying to say something? It happens. Division. Do you desire division or unity? Second question. What identity are we trusting in? Are we trusting in our identity in Christ? Our identity as Christians? Our identity as the kingdom of God? Are we identifying? Are we, are we trusting in that identity? Not in our political identity. Not in our demographical identity. Not in our social identity. Not in our cultural identity. But are we trusting in our identity that you know what? It could be that I am an electrician. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a son. I am an uncle. I am a pastor. I am all those things. But you know what? Above any of those things, I am a child of God. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I am a disciple of Jesus. That's who I am. That's what I am. And among, uh, above anything else, I am trusting in my identity in Christ. Last question. Are we growing together in Christ? Now some people might say, well Spence, that's your responsibility. Well, How am I supposed to come to every single one of your houses every single day and force feed you the Bible? You ever tried that? You ever, you ever drenched something? <laughs> CIA calls it waterboarding, but back before that you had waterboarding in the CIA, you had dairy farmers that would drench cattle. Take your big old tube, and you would shove that tube down that cow's throat and then you would start pouring mineral oil down that you had a funnel I mean it was a funnel with a tube there's other things that people use that for these days but I mean it was a, it was a funnel and tube and you would pour that mineral oil down there and it's a way of force feeding that cow force feeding well, not force liquefying that cow with mineral you're drenching that cow so in order for us to grow and I don't know where I got off on that but in order for us to grow <laughs> it's my mind so in order for us to grow in our faith And in order for that to be my responsibility, that means I would have to come to every single one of your houses every single day and make sure that you were feeding on a diet of God. Now, if you want me to come to your house every single day, I'd be happy to do that. Some of you quite don't like me that much. (laughs) So maybe the best thing to do is just to say that maybe growing is our personal responsibility. That growing is a personal responsibility accountability issue that that maybe 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 it could be because you have been saved because you have been forgiven now you are responsible to grow but I'm going to tell you based upon what it says here in this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 13 and 14 if you're not growing then the body isn't growing which is why it's imperative that we grow together so Paul comes in this passage And he was to remind them of who they are in Christ. In a day of division, in a day of fracturing, in a day of schisms, he comes in, (laughs) excuse me, and he wants to remind them of who they are in Christ. He reminds them that once they were divided, but now they are united. And church, I want to encourage us today to live today, to live tomorrow, and to live the remaining of our lives on this earth as if we are united. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. If you're here this morning and as I'm talking about salvation, I'm talking about forgiveness of sins, I'm talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, none of that hits you because you never made that decision. You know that right now, right now in your life, you're lost. Maybe today is a day that you just need to say, 
I want to be part. I, I want to be part of the kingdom of God. I, I know that Jesus has died for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need salvation. I know that I need forgiveness. And today is a day that I'm inviting you to come. And let me sit down and visit with you what it means to be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you're saved, but you're distracted. You spent more time this last week paying attention to the world than paying attention to God. And you just need to clean your mind. God, I, I'm so distracted. God, 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 I'm so divided. I'm so angry at this, this people. I'm so angry at this group. I'm so frustrated. I'm so stirred up. I, I have so much animosity inside of me. God, I just need you to clean my heart and I need you to clean my mind. And God, I want today to be a day of the beginnings of just getting back to being focused on you. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. And in a few moments, we have a time of invitation. I mean, you need to stay seated and you just need to say, God, I'm conflicted. I, I, I'm struggling. There's things that Satan is doing in my heart and my lives that's causing division. And I want you to take care of it. Maybe you're here this morning and division has been true about you for far too long. Anger. Unresolved hurt feelings. You haven't forgiven somebody that you know you should have forgiven of a long time ago. Maybe there's something in your heart and life that's causing you division this morning. I'll also give you an opportunity. We'll have it here at the front. You can come pray. Come speak to me. Maybe right where you're at, you can just pray. But I don't want any of us in this room to leave here this morning not united together in the Spirit. So whether it's salvation that needs to happen this morning for you to be united with us in the same Spirit, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's uh, repentance, whether it's confession that needs to happen this morning so that you can come be united in Spirit with us, whatever it may be, I want you to leave here this morning knowing that we are united together in Christ. You bow your heads with me.